We're going to be in the fifth chapter of James, and Lord willing, we will finish the book of James today. Uh, it's been a it's been a very beneficial book for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Very practical in its application. Very convicting as we go through it. And as we get here to the end, we see a little bit. It's just kind of like. Um, Several points that he kind of makes in a row to finish up, and so um, I think we can take great knowledge and wisdom from it as we go through that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank you, God, for this, this day. I thank you for allowing us to gather here and worship your name. I thank you for the equipping hour this morning and for Paul. I, I thank you that Paul is able to, to be back out and about, and I pray for continued healing for him. Um, I thank you for the lesson, the fulfilled prophecies, and the amazement that we can just stand in awe of you in that. I pray now as we look at this, at this last part of James, God, that you would help us to understand, help us to take this and to understand prayer better, or that we would understand in a, in a new, fresher way how you have directed us as a group, as a body of believers to pray for one another, for ourselves, and for our church, God, that um, you would work through that prayer in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so the last time, um, the last time I preached... It was on being patient and persevering. And I got down to verse 11 in chapter 5. And so now we're going to look at verse 12. It's almost like verse 12 is kind of stands alone. It goes along with the patience, however. But it's like this extra thought added into... The section on patience. He says in verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so to you can take that verse and it, it stands alone, but when you consider it in the context of the patience and persevering, um, it... it actually even becomes more applicable in what it's saying. John Gill said this. John Gill said, As impatience should not show itself in secret sighs, groans, murmurings, and repentings, so more especially it should not break forth in rash oaths or profane swearing. So what we're tempted to do a lot of times when we lose our patience, when we have things coming into our life, uh, people coming into our life, whether they be believers or unbelievers, we have this temptation to lose our cool. Anybody else have that problem? Anybody else ever lose their cool? I've only done it like once. So, But, but James is saying here, with this patience comes this patient attitude of not swearing. And, and 
Um, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, turn over to Matthew 5. In verse 34 through 36, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So James is basically saying the same thing that Jesus was saying here. He's, he's saying this, what he has learned from the Lord Jesus, and that is that some kind of addition to your word does not change it at all. So in other words, when you say, I swear it's true, does that make it any more true? And, and if you have ever stopped and observed people, the people that are doing that, the people that are the most likely to say, I swear it's true. I, you hear them say, I swear to God. I swear on my grandma's grave, whatever it is. You know, they say all these things. Most of the time, those people are um, habitual liars. And the reason they have to say, I swear, is because they know that a lot of the time they're not swearing, they're lying. And usually it's going along with another lie anyway. So what James is virtually saying here is, don't get caught up into all of that. Your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Let your word stand alone. And then let your life and the pattern of your life and the pattern of your language make other people believe that is enough. What does this mean? Let's, let's just get down real simple on what this is. Tell the truth. Right? Period. Just tell the truth. Don't tell partial truths and leave details out and leave things out on purpose so that you can make it look better for what you're trying to get across. And let's not kid ourselves. We've all done that. And don't manipulate the truth to make others sound worse or to make yourself sound better. And some of this, i got to be honest, some of this comes, the, the teacher in me comes out here because I deal with high school kids on a daily basis, and I see this on a daily basis, the manipulation of truth, the partial truths. And I, I've been around it enough with high school kids, I can see right through it usually. And I think, but there's some kids that come along and they're different. And when they, when they tell me something, I believe them. That's how we need to be. That's how we need to be as people of God when we say something. No matter whether people like you or not, they may not like you. No matter, matter whether people are, there's, there are people who are in this world as, an, as anti-Christ. They don't like Christians. They don't like Jesus. They don't like what it stands for. But they also like to be told the truth. And those things will stand out as we go through our life. So we need to live our life so there's no need to swear on anything or anybody. To make people believe you, let our word stand alone. Live your life where people take your word 
at face, at face value. That's, that's basically what verse 12 is saying. And then he says, no, lest you fall into judgment or lest you fall into condemnation. As we go about our life this way. And, and you know, like Gil mentioned, even going into profanity, the swearing, the frustrations that come with life. And we get frustrated and we use our language in a way that is not honoring to God. And then we want to swear to try to make our word stand true. And if we will honor this and we will keep our heads straight and we will keep grounded in Christ and what he has done then when these frustrations come, the patience will be given to us in a way that will help us to avoid condemnation. It will help us from falling into further sin. It will help us from falling into um, even a hatred of these people who we're frustrated with. So then, moving on, as as we look at the next section, James kind of changes gears here. In this next section, verses 13 through 18, um, this is one that I I think it's maybe more difficult for me to exposit than others because a little bit of my background and has so misinterpreted. I've seen this so misinterpreted. It feels like I need to undo a whole bunch of things, but I don't think other people have seen it quite so misinterpreted. So bear with me on this as I go through this. But let's read verses 13 through 18, and then we'll, we'll get into what it, what it is talking about. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what I want to do, I want to give a plain reading of the text. I want to just go back, and i got to try to shuck the, the baggage that has come with this. And maybe some of you guys have heard things along these lines that this carries some baggage too. I know a few of you have. Um, but I just want to get back and what was James really saying here? What is the clear thing that God, the Holy Spirit, is, is giving to us in this section? And so to break that down, John Piper, I believe, rightly points out that in this section there are three different kinds of prayer that are shown in these verses. Um, And all three are for people who are sick or suffering in some way. It doesn't give the exact what the suffering is. It can be a lot of different things. And so in this section, I believe it leaves us some flexibility on how we pray for the sick. It It gives us some guidelines, but it leaves us some flexibility 
in that. And so the first one is to pray for yourself. This one's overlooked a lot in all the things that I've heard about this, and, and it's been a lot. Nobody ever mentions this part. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The one who is suffering, let him pray. The first and right reaction to a suffering Christian is to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's not skip that step. You start getting sick. You should go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to give you the strength to overcome this, to heal you, to give you the guidance to go to the places. It should be a prayer for yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself. That's not necessarily selfish. It's what God has told us here to do in his word. And I'll say this. Suffering doesn't always need others to pray. And it doesn't always need the elders to pray. Why? Because God may answer the prayer before it ever gets to that point. Are we so lacking in faith that we skip our own prayer and go to the prayer of the church, go to the prayer of the elders? No, your prayer has power as well. We'll get, we'll get to the power of prayer. And in fact, I would also suggest to you that you should never ask for prayer for something that you haven't prayed for yourself. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you're doing that, if you're asking for prayer for all these things, and you're not praying for it for yourself, it may not be that you actually want prayer. It may be that you actually want to just talk about it. And that's a big part of our problem. We worry about things, and we talk about things, but we don't pray about things. I've caught myself in this a lot of times. I get anxious. I get worried. I get to fretting over different things, mostly things that are out of my control, relationships between two other people, and I see it going bad, and, and I get and, and I just, it, it rolls in my mind. And I think if I have spent half the time in prayer that I have worrying about this, I would feel a lot better about it. God would work in my heart and give me peace about it. And it's the same thing. And then when we, we talk about things, we talk about people and their problems, and I can't believe this and this, and we spend more time talking about it to each other than we do talking to God about it. We need to work on that. We need to make that our habit. We need to make that our practice. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray for yourself. The second type of prayer here is praying elders over the sick. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you or over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So as we look at this and just look at the situation, I think it's pretty clear here that this is in the case of somebody who is not able to, to get out of bed or to, to travel, they're, they're homebound for whatever sickness this is has got them down. That's why the, the words pray over him. Um, you can gather the picture here that the elders gather around somebody who is sick, and then it says the Lord will raise him up, meaning they were, this was a serious sickness. This isn't a head cold. This isn't a sore throat. 
You know, this isn't a broken pinky finger. This is a serious sickness. And he says, call for the elders of the church. Um, So before we talk about why it's called for the elders of the church, I want to point out one thing, and that's who he doesn't tell you to call for. And this is interesting because he doesn't call for the one who has the gift of healing or the faith healer or the, the, any of those people, right? He says call for the elders of the church. Do the elders of the church have the gift of healing? Certainly, we can we could go into gifts and all of that, and it was tempting to do that, but we don't have the time. But we can certainly agree that they all don't. So why does he call for the elders? And I think there's two reasons. The first is that the elders should know how to pray faithfully and within God's will. And the second is alluded to in the last part of the verse when he says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now remember, he says, is any among you sick? He's talking about Christians here. He's not talking about unbelievers. These are people who have been born again. These are people who are saved by the blood of Christ, saved by grace, in faith, and are in the church. So you can't make the assumption here that a non-believer calls for the elders of the church, and the elders go pray for him, and then he'll be forgiven. No. No, if an unbeliever calls for anybody other than Christ, he will not be forgiven. So that is not what that's talking about. And I I actually think this is where maybe the Catholics get part of their last rites um, administration from, is this text where the priest comes in and prays for them right before they die, and then they're going to be saved. Well, that's that's just false. That's not what this is talking about. But so it's talking about a believer already, somebody who's already saved. And it says if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so I think part of the reason that you would call for the elders is that when you're dealing with serious sickness, like these spiritual matters or like like these, like when somebody is bedridden, it is a situation where it could be serious enough that death is on the other side, right? So when you're in those spiritual or in that type of physical sickness, spiritual matters matters rise to the surface. Anybody that's ever been in one of those situations or been close to a situation like that knows that's the truth. Because when you're looking at, when you're staring death in the face, spiritual matters become much more important they come right to the forefront and so the elders will have the ability to or should have the ability to help deal with those matters and they can help the sick recognize sin and repent um, of that sin and they can comfort them spiritually sometimes it may be um, even a case of to help them find assurance in their salvation. Do you remember when John the Baptist was in prison? This is John the Baptist. I don't think anybody's doubting John the Baptist's salvation. He was received the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb when he came close to Jesus. 
And he was the forerunner. He was the, he was the man who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. I mean, it, it, incredible um, man. And when he was in prison, he sent his, uh, his disciples to ask Jesus, who are you? Well, why was that? Was it because John the Baptist had just suddenly completely lost his mind? And No, but when you're faced with these physical matters, spiritual assurance is necessary. And, I th- and the elders will um, be able to help with that. They'll be able to comfort them spiritually and as well as pray for their spiritual needs. We'll talk about that prayer here in just a minute. The third reason or the third type of prayer that he gives here is pray for each other. In verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you that you may be healed. And then he says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So first, he affirms here that we are to hold one another accountable to God. And I think we've talked about that even throughout the book of James. We've talked about that throughout the London Baptist Confession classes and equipping hour. That's part of the role of the church is to hold one another accountable. And he brings that out here. And so when we confess our sins, we don't do it in a vacuum. We don't do it. I mean, we're supposed to confess our sins to God, yes. And I believe this is similar to the order of prayer. As we have suffering, as we have needs, we pray to God. Then we ask others to pray. As we discover sin in our life, as we are convicted of this sin in our life, we confess it first to God, and then we confess it to others. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be everybody, but you confess it to some so that they can help hold you accountable in the future from that same sin. And also, it also includes here confessing sins that you have against one another. Um, so that you can get that out in the open. We've, all, we've talked other times about how light exposes darkness, light exposes sin. You shine the light on it, and it certainly helps kill the sin. So that's what he's talking about here. Um, but then he says, pray for one another. And this is a separate type of prayer than the elders coming, and it's not praying for, for yourself so why, why pray for one another? Why would we ask the brethren to pray for me in this? Why did Paul ask many people to pray for him when he was going into ECU a couple of days ago to share the truth? Why would he ask for many prayers when he was going into surgery? Why did, you know, why do we have, when somebody gets sick, why do we ask the people to pray? Pray. And the answer is right there in the same verse. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's why. Because it's powerful. It is the means that God has given us to communicate to him our desires and our needs. And it is also the means of him conforming our will to his. One of the means. Of course, we've got to know his will. So that comes with reading his word. But by prayer, when we're praying, we should have enough of God's word in our hearts and in our minds that as we pray, he begins to conform our will to his. 
And he teaches us how to accept what he is going to do. And he teaches us how to pray for what he is going to do. And, and notice here that he's still talking about healing. He says that you may be healed. So calling for the elders is not the only thing to do. We are also to join as a congregation, as a body of believers. We are to join the elders in prayer for one another. And I would also suggest this is not limited to physical healing, although I think it's certainly implied here. I think, I mean, it certainly applies to physical healing, but I, I think this is also spiritual healing. You're having a struggle spiritually. You're having a struggle with assurance. Ask, the, ask your fellow Christians, your brothers and sisters, to pray. You're having emotional issues. Ask people to pray for you. And it may be that some of those issues are caused by sin. And it may be that the, you need to get that out in the open and confess that sin. And it may be that through that mechanism that God begins to heal you. There's lots of inner workings in these verses on what to do and how to pray. But one thing that is clear, and that is that we are pray to pray for one another. Can't, can't dispute that one. So what kind of prayer is this that we're talking about? It says, the prayer of faith shall raise him up. Now, I want, to make it, I want to make this clear. There's no guarantee that all who call for the elders of the church to pray for someone who is sick will be healed. That's not, that's not what this is talking about. And there's no guarantee that every righteous person who prays will bring healing. Although it does have much power, that much is clear. But there is the statement there that the prayer of faith shall raise him up. So what is, how is that, how are we going to reconcile that? Because we all know there's been times when elders have been called and the prayer was made and the person did not, was not raised up. Um, that happens a lot. Because it probably happens just about every time somebody in a Bible-believing church, anytime somebody is facing death, the elders are probably called to pray for them. And if that, but if it was true that every time the elders prayed for them, they were raised up, then nobody would ever die, right? So that's not what it's talking about. So what is this prayer of faith? I believe James gives us the answer in, in 17 and 18 when he talks about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Okay, first off, let's note this. James is using Elijah here. He is appealing to the fact that Elijah was like us. He's not referring to Elijah as this great super prophet that lived back in the days of the prophets and he could do things that we can't do because he had special power from above. No, he says, was a man with a nature like ours. 
Elijah was just a man, just like we are. And so it's important to keep that in mind that he has given us this comparison because this is how we are to be. We are to be like Elijah. So second, as we study the prayer and as we look at this narrative of Elijah, the question I think has to be asked is, does God change his mind? And I know that we here believe that he doesn't. Uh, Most of us here would say no. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is sovereign. God is in complete control. He doesn't change his mind. And so how is it then that Elijah, how can he ask for a drought and receive it? And then ask for rain and get that whenever whenever that happens. And the answer is it was through faith. And I believe what we see here is a supernatural gift given in certain prayers and in certain people that allow, and I don't, know, I don't even think it's all the time, but I think in certain times the prayer of faith, for, like for example, Elijah was a supernatural result of him being so in tune to God's will that his request or his will was in line with God's. And so when Elijah asked for drought, the reason Elijah was able to ask for that and the reason that Elijah was able to receive that was because it was the direct will of God. And so Elijah was a great man of faith, and he's, when, when this great man of faith comes in, it doesn't mean that he has so much favor with God, God gives him whatever he wants. No, it means that he is in line with God's desires. He is in line with God's will, and when his prayers come forth, they are the same as God's will. That's exactly what Christ was the entire time he was on earth. Jesus, the Son of God's will, was directly in line with the Father. So when he prayed, it was the same as the the desire, the, the result was always the same. And that's what we should be doing in our prayers. It shouldn't be a trying to change God's mind like a young child trying to, like my kids, wearing at me, wearing at me, please, 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 and finally I give in. That is not what prayer is. And it's not even to change the direction that things are going. Like when you're praying for the sick, for example, there is a realization in the Christian's mind. And remember this, too. When James is talking about this, he's talking about believers. So is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. So let's keep in mind this. If they're sick enough and they're bedridden and death is looming on the other side... What is that to a Christian? Is it scary? No. Should it be scary even for the people left here? No. It's actually glorious. They're entering into the next life. They will be basking in the glory of Jesus as soon as that happens. So we've got to keep that in mind when we're praying for the sick. And so what we have to realize is When we're praying for somebody that is sick, we have to realize that there's a chance that God is going to use the sickness and leave them in that 
for his glory. And so what we should be praying, and as I, as I, the more I understand, the more I learn about God and his attributes, the more I find out that my prayers are not trying to change God at all, but more my prayers are to conform my own will to God's. And so that's the prayer. So when we are in that prayer, when this prayer of faith, if it is God's will to raise him up, they will pray that and pray it fervently, and then it will happen. That's what he's talking about, just as it did with Elijah. I have a feeling that when Elijah was praying for three years of drought, when he was praying for drought, you guys have been through a drought here recently. It was 2012, 13? I don't remember the year, but it went a long time without rain. And it was like 30 days over 100 degrees, which is usually what comes along with drought, heat. I have a feeling that Elijah's flesh did not want that. Right? But his spirit was in line with God's, and there was an ultimate purpose for that. And so he prayed, and it was granted. And then when he prayed for rain, it was granted as well. So that's how we need to pray. We need to pray apart from our flesh, apart from the fleshly desires we have for this person to be here, to stay with us for whatever my reason is, but know, God, your will be done, and if it is your will for them to be raised up, then you will raise them up, and they will still have purpose on this earth for your glory, but if it's not, then conform our will to be happy, to glorify, to rejoice in this saint that you are going to call home. And that's the prayer that will raise up the sick. And that's the prayer that we should be seeking and desiring to serve. And that is part of the reason I believe they call for the elders, because as elders we should be more in tune with that. We should be capable of that. Does that mean we always are, though? I mean, you guys all know us. We're, we're far from perfect. We're, we're still growing as well. But that should be our desire, and that should be um, yours as well. So that's the, that is, that is the, I think, the plain reading. I think that's, that's where we come to in this text. Um, just a little bit of the background that I talked about there. Uh, this is where the church that I was raised in, this is a big part of their doctrine in that they believed, they didn't believe in doctors because it didn't say to call for doctors, it said to call for the elders, and that's how they, they would um, handle sickness in general. And it, it was just a, there was this weird bondage that came along with this scripture that's not there. The scripture is actually freeing. It is actually liberating in how we pray. There's lots of room to pray in different ways, but there are very good instructions on on who to pray for and when to pray in these cases. So we'll move on into verse 19. 19 and 20, he says, My brothers, if any among you, anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, 
Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As I read this, I thought, you know, we should not be surprised with this sinful flesh, with these sinful bodies, um, if anyone, that, that somebody would wander from the truth. And I think you, you have two different things that can be happening here. It could be somebody that's wandering away from or wandering into false doctrine, uh, away from the true gospel, away from the truth of Scripture. Uh, the um, I saw a post yesterday, I think, a guy named Andy Stanley, who I think is Southern Baptist, supposedly supposed to be Southern Baptist. He had a, there was a PowerPoint or something he was doing, and it said, I can't quote it, but basically, if you, if, if pastors leave the authority of the Word of God, or if they anchor their authority on only the Word of God, they're limiting the power of what they can do or something like that. And I thought, that's what this is talking about, except that the wandering has went far right field with that one. <clears throat> but there was a beginning to that wandering. And, and so it could be that somebody is wandering into a false doctrine. They, they start picking up on, on some kind of a little, little and they're, they're so subtle, the way they sneak in. There's these little subtle false doctrines that start to sneak in, and they do it in ways that seem like maybe it's a fictional writing, maybe it's a fictional movie. Well, it's just fiction, but it starts to plant these seeds, and pretty soon it's going farther and farther away. That's one of the things that he's talking about. And I think he could also be talking about wandering away from Christ himself, wandering away from the church, um, slipping off into uh, different kinds of sins that are hindering the fellowship uh, with God's people and with Christ himself. Uh, it, it says if, it, if this happens and someone brings him back, so it doesn't give a specific command here um, for someone to bring him back. It only shows what would happen when they do. But if you'll turn to Galatians 6, Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so it is the duty of those who are spiritual to bring back those who are wandering from the truth. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, if anyone wanders from the truth, you who are spiritual, go alongside them. But there's a very specific way to do this, and it is in a spirit of gentleness. And this, I think we all probably need to work on, um, that spirit of gentleness. There's times when I can completely, I can, I can be completely gentle with a brother or sister who is looking to error, and there's other times when I can just be so extremely judgmental, and it, I think it has to do with 
the different sins I'm more tempted with, I'm more gentle with, and things that I've never been tempted with, I'm maybe not so much. I was reading this morning, um, Trevor Johnson, you guys have heard us talk about him before, uh, missionary in Papua New Guinea, and he is going through, I may, it's got to be maybe the worst health problems I've ever even seen. He's had malaria, like, I don't even remember 30, 26 times. Um, his liver is so enlarged, he, for months, he couldn't hardly even get out of bed, couldn't hardly move, it was just pain, couldn't sleep, couldn't, and he was, but he's doing better, so praise God for that. He got to a, to a doctor, and they, they gave him all this anti-parasitic medicine, and so he's kind of on the road to recovery now, but it's going to be, his liver's still enlarged, and they said it'd be at least six months once his liver goes back to normal size, at least at the bare minimum six months before he goes anywhere back in the field or anything. But anyway, he was saying in this, he, he, he has gained powerful insight into some things. And so as God always does, he uses this suffering um, to sanctify his, his saints. And he was saying how much more sympathetic... And how he has devoted a new time of prayer and way to pray for people who have become addicted to pain medicines and things like that. And I thought, yeah. I mean, it's easy to be judgmental towards people when you've never had that problem. And he's saying, I can definitely understand how easily it would be to get addicted to these pain medicines because he needs them. He needs them to, and, he's, and he talked about chronic pain. He said, mine is getting better now, and I praise God for that. But there's other people whose pain is not getting better. And I thought it was very convicting for me because I've been the same way. And so what James is saying here and what Paul was saying in Galatians, if something like that starts happening, go to them in a spirit of gentleness. Come alongside them. He says, bear one another's burdens. Weep when they weep. Rejoice when they rejoice. These are our, this is our family. This is the, we are the people we're going to spend eternity with. And we want to learn how to love each other now. We want to learn how to rejoice in these things now. And we want to learn how to weep. And it, it can be burdensome sometimes. Because there's always somebody suffering. And you wind up suffering with them. And that's what we're called to do. And so when somebody starts to stray, somebody starts to wander for whatever reason, whether it be sin, whether it be, well, it's most generally sin of of different types, come alongside them. And and remember this, too. This takes a great amount of humility, which is what Trevor was explaining. He has been humbled in this case. And it also, remember what the, all the rest of the verses before this was about. Prayer. So you can't come along somebody to help them from wandering if you haven't spent the time praying for them. It says pray for one another. So spend that time with a great amount of prayer and then come alongside them and try to help. It's, it's more like it's not a grab them and drag them back type of move. It's a, their legs broken, I'm going to come up underneath them and I'm going to bear the weight on my legs 
until they get that their feedback under them. And remember this, when this is happening, the faithful prayer of a righteous man has great power. And don't ever doubt that. And so as we come alongside these wandering souls and we bring them to repentance, turn back over there to James. He who turns a sinner from this error, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It is a great work. It is a great honor to be used. Um, and it is a great thing to look back and say, wow, that man, that woman, they were heading over here, and then ten years later they may be the, the strongest, most faithful brethren that you know. And they may be extremely well gifted at doing the same thing for others. And so that is our prayer. That is a prayer of faith that God will honor his word, that he will honor his people. And as we go to our knees in prayer, and as we turn our eyes to the heavens and we look to Christ, we can have faith in this, that whatever he is doing, no matter how bleak it may seem at the time, no matter how good it may seem at the time, it will be for his glory and for the benefit of his people on this earth and in the and in the heavens. And that's that's encouraging. Let's pray. Father, first of all, Lord, forgive me for not having this what I preached about today. For lacking it. For not often enough praying when I should for my own anxieties and my own issues. For not often enough praying for others. And I pray, God, now as, as we go forward that you would change that in my heart and that I would, that I would spend more time in prayer. That I would spend more time in prayer for the suffering people of your kingdom that I would spend more time in prayer for those wandering souls and that I would also spend more time in prayer for those lost souls. God, and I pray that would be each one here, that you would cause us all a burden to raise our brothers and sisters up to you, that you would communicate to us and that you would conform our will to yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.